Glad you could join us for episode 123 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of Joss Whedon's space western Firefly, starring Nathan Fillion and Summer Glau. We'll be examining episode 11, Trash, in just a few moments. But before we get there, dude, we had to go back to work for real today. I know, back to work. You know, it's bound to happen, and you know, what... What can you do? Not too bad. Uh, you know, and, and this is probably as good a time as any to point out. You know, I don't think we ever mentioned it before, but we kind of got ahead in recording these podcasts. And, and since our goal is to release one a week, and so far we've been releasing those on Friday, we've actually got some, you know, ready to go, but we hold off releasing them. So sometimes I think some of the things we say, especially about shows that are on, the, the timing doesn't quite match up. So by the time you hear this, we'll probably actually have been back to school close to two weeks. All right. Well, anyway, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can record a voicemail via the send voicemail tab. You can record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And as always, we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, so Wayne, we don't really have any Firefly news tonight or listener feedback, but what I did want to bring up was the 2015 Hugo Awards, and I know you've heard of them, and, and yes. I know I had to do a little bit of research to see exactly what they what they are, but do you know anything about the controversy this year? Not a thing. Okay, so the Hugo Awards are presented annually and have been since 1955. They're considered sci-fi's most prestigious award voted on by members of the world science fiction convention Worldcon, which is also responsible for administering them and uh it's an unincorporated literary society which sponsors the annual world sci-fi convention and the hugo awards and basically what happened this year okay like sci-fi like the world in general it has been moving away from white male dominated societies, right? And, and you know, what we, sexual orientation is opening up, uh, you know, racial or you know, whatever. But there were some white male writers who apparently didn't like the way things were headed. So basically in a nutshell, what they did was attempt to stuff the ballot box. And they were pretty darn successful at it to the point, and I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes so you can you know, read the, the full story if you want. But in a nutshell, there were five categories where they managed to basically have a hand in all five nominees. So what the Hugo Award Committee decided to do in those cases is not give an award. Hmm. Yeah. So now the process during January and March each year, the members are allowed to nominate up to five people or works because, you know, it's a lot of written, uh, you know, novels, novellas, short stories, 15 categories each April, a short list is announced of five finalists in each category. And then a final ballot sent to the members of the world con. And there we are. All right. So I just want to bring up two that apply to us. And, and, and that is, Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form, and we've got the nominees, The Lego Movie, Interstellar, nice. Good one. Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Loved it. Edge of Tomorrow, Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Awesome. And the winner is? Uh, Lego Movie. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. All right. And Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form, 
we have the pilot for Flash, Game of Good Thrones, one. The Mountain and the Viper, Beauty, Grim, Once We Were Gods, Never Saw, it. Orphan Black, By Means Which Have Never Yet Been Tried, Fantastic, and, and Doctor Who, Listen, Woo, and the you winner know which is one I Hope Wins. Well, what, dare I say Doctor Who? No. Ah, Orphan Black. Orphan Black. Yep. So, nice. uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly good. And, and we've been talking for the last few years uh, about Orphan Black and how it seems to get the short shrift, uh, especially for Best Actress. But anyway, so uh, I'll put the link to the show notes. And if you're interested in that, it, it's really fascinating. A bunch of, uh, I don't know, you know, it's come on. Really, stuff in the ballot box. I mean, how middle school do we get? Yeah, I know. All right. So, speaking of middle no, I school. Did, I was in high school when I did that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to Firefly. Episode 11, Trash, written by your guy, Ben Edlund. Yes. And Jose Molina. So, they teamed uh, up yeah, here. Yeah, too. Yeah. Both now, of them are, are really good. Yeah. You know, like, well, you had me at Ben Edlund. Yeah. Well, Ben Edlund wrote Janestown and. Jose Molina wrote Ariel, two of the most recent ones we did, directed by Vern Gillum, who did Shindig. And this one aired July 21st, 2003, the first of the three episodes to air only on sci-fi after the show's cancellation. Now, they did air on some other networks, but not in that original run of Fox, like we said last year in 2002. Right. All right. so So this is the first one that people went and bought the DVD for. Yep. Which was really what kind of created this whole thing of this whole you know underground movement for firefly was the you know the dvd sales going through the roof oh yeah i guess that's really what uh led the i, I guess fox I, i'm not sure what movie company produced serenity i assume it was fox but who knows uh, yeah i should know that but uh regardless right. that that's but what do you think? Like, I don't know if this was actually what they were thinking or not, but it actually might have been a cunning move on Fox's part to not show, like, what, four episodes, right? Uh, might have been three, but I... Three, okay. Yeah. So the ones that they didn't show, now, like, when the DVD comes out, people are like, oh, well, I want to see the episodes they never showed, so I'm going to go buy the DVD, and it might have actually driven, you know, potentially they did that on purpose. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, in 2002, I mean, not that people didn't have VCRs, which, of course, they did, but, you know, it, it wasn't as easy as it is now with uh, DVRs and things like that. But uh, right. I had I got my first DVD player in 2002. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I was slightly behind the time. So, All right. Well, anyway, uh, great episode. We see the return of Saffron, you know, despite all indications which is like, really, you don't show the second one with Christina Hendricks in it? I, really? I know. I know. How, how, really? Like you couldn't let it go one more week? Like give it one more chance for ratings to come up? Come on now. Well, the interesting thing, though, in this episode is that nothing has changed with her. And nothing's changed, really, it seems, with Mal, who goes against his better judgment and takes her aboard. Well, right. Why? But. Well, so. does he formulate his plan that quickly? That doesn't seem like him well according to anara he did yeah all right now coming on the heels of war stories and kaylee's reaction to the violence of war you know her bravery is in evidence again as she goes on top of serenity with jane to reprogram the dumpster that was pretty pretty awesome and visually pretty awesome yeah especially uh dressed like 
the kid who was staying in line behind Ralphie in the Christmas story. Okay. And then one thing as you know to keep in mind is Do you get what I was talking about that? You know what I'm talking about? No. So, You've never seen Christmas story? Oh, I have many times. Okay, so you know they're in line waiting for Santa Claus? Right. And there's a kid with like the aviator's hat yeah. over and the goggles pulled down and he's like I like the tin man. Gosh, and I don't remember that. Like, is it I like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, he's just like a really weird kid. He looks weird and and he's freaking you know, Ralphie out, who's just, you know, focused on meeting Santa and asking for the Red Rider BB gun. All right. Cool. I don't remember that. I mean I remember the Red Rider BB okay. gun and you know Well well see here like not to go too deeply in this, which obviously we are already. My bad, sorry. But you know, like we kind of wrap a lot of presents uh Christmas Eve and uh they're showing TBS says 24 hours of a Christmas story. So I, I usually watch it like one and a half to two, two and a half times uh, as I, as I rap. So I know I, I'm not bragging here, but I, I think I pretty much know every nuance that is available to be known in that movie. Yeah. So, all right. Well, opening scene in Firefly was I pretty risque. Now it didn't show on Fox, but we see, a naked Malcolm Reynolds sitting on a rock in the middle of the desert. And then he utters that went well. Yep. And then we see the, the words 72 hours earlier. Now, yeah, I, I do want to bring up and I sure, I'm sure you saw this, whether or not you remember, you know, this particular, particular sequence, but uh, Nathan Fillion has described the process for filming his nude scenes in, in, in different interviews. And, you know, he, he, one and it was in that uh documentary firefly of brown coats reunite and the uh round table discussion that took place just prior to the anniversary reunion panel uh in i believe it was 2012 but you know he, he brings up the difference between you know when there's a female doing a nude scene and they close the set off, they hang black drapes. And he was talking about how, when he did it, you know, the UPS guy was coming by, everybody was, <laughs> was moving through. Uh, and, and, and the, uh, he talks about the fact that the only piece of clothing he was wearing was this small mitten covering his naughty bits. Right. But he got the guy. Well, he should have said like a massive mitten. Oh wait, but it gets better <laughs> on the mitten. He had, a picture of Joss Whedon's face <laughs> so that if anybody happened to look down, that's right. what they would see. Right. Right. And at the end of the episode, you, you can see wash looking down towards that area on Mal and immediately, um, uh, you know, I don't know if that was the first take or if he, you know, if there are some outtakes of him really laughing when he did see that, because I, I, right. I think the idea was that nobody really knew that was there. So, <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the episode. So we cut to Serenity. There's another crew. They're on the ground loading cargo, clearly on a smuggling run. Mal recognizes the other captain as Monty. And of course, when he recognizes somebody, we never know what's going to happen. And, and in this episode, there were several recognition sure. scenes. You, right. You know, and, and this is the first of them. Right. This is the first. At first, I thought I recognized David Crosby. Right, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, without his soup catcher. And, right. uh, you know, this is an old war acquaintance friend and, and apparently a confirmed bachelor suddenly wants Mal to meet his wife. And of course it turns out to be Saffron, Christina Hendricks. Right. They immediately draw guns on each other, prompting the husband to conclude you guys have met before, huh? <laughs> yeah. So 
right away, it's just an awesome first scene for sure. I, I like how they, you know, they start fighting. He's like, Bridget, Mal, you know, like, like they're two kids, like, you know, getting into scrap and they got guns and they're kicking each other in the face and things like that. Yeah. And then Mal tells him that he's married to her and views the abbreviated version of her attempt to steal serenity. And next thing we know, this guy is abandoning his wife on the planet. His ship's leaving her stranded. And you hear him. I guess he's got the little PA system on his ship. And, you know, damn you. I shaved off my beard for you, exactly. devil woman. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, Mal is still there. At least he doesn't fall for the lipstick trick this time. Right. I mean, she's ready right. to uh, pull it. Now, ever the calm woman, she tries to seduce him. This time, he's having none of it, tells her to walk away. I think he even fires his gun at her a couple times. Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't, wasn't sure whether he was, like, directing her to walk towards where he's shooting or just, it's now, in retrospect, it looks like he's shooting in a threatening type manner. But this is where he first, because, like, what we really didn't get is the suggestion that she's crazy. And there's a number of times in this episode where he calls her crazy, like, to her face. Who, Mal or Monty? Mal. Okay. Um, because, you know, like, right after they get left, she's like, oh, marriage is hard work, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't work on it. He's like, you're insane. Like, what are you talking about, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't think she's crazy at all. I think she's just very calculating. I mean, the crazy stuff is she thinks she can pull this stuff off. Well, yeah, and, you know, one of the things that, that came to me in this episode, the last time we saw her – Inara concludes that, you know, this woman had companion training. So mm -hmm. do we assume that's true? I guess. So does that mean, I mean, if we, if we accept that as true, do we, does that mean that companions also receive, you know, combat training, I guess, if you will, I mean, certainly hand to hand. So does that mean Inara has had that training and just chooses to not use it? Yeah, I think there's probably, I mean, it, it's apparent that uh, Joss Whedon was going to use this character uh, more and more. And, you know, like the, she was still alive at the end of this one and had Firefly gone on, I'm sure we would have seen more, maybe gotten more uh, about Saffron's backstory and everything. You know, no matter what, she has this confidence that every guy I meet wants me so I can do or say basically whatever I want. You'll do whatever I say because you want me. And as she said, face it. I'm really hot. Yeah, no question. You know? Which is like the, I think kind of like what she bases everything else off of. Yeah, right. Yeah. That that I can get away with whatever. You'll believe whatever I say. You'll do whatever I ask you to do because I'm really hot. And she's probably not a hundred percent wrong there. Well, I think she's a hundred percent right in this episode. She just didn't count on Inara's role. So right. when she sees things are not going her way, then she brings up the job that she was planning to do with Monty, Mal Cox's revolver. Uh, and, and at that point, Serenity lands to pick up Mal, who now sports Kleenex stuffed up, <laughs> stuffed up his nostrils, indicating he right. got hit again. And then he's told that Inara wants to see him. And, and we're assuming this has something to do with you know her wanting to take on clients. But he meets her in the shuttle. And she's prepared tea, you know, she's looking as good as she ever looks. I mean, she, sure. I mean, look, you know what? I mean, one of the things that comes out, she's beautiful. She is a oh my gosh. stunningly beautiful woman. Absolutely. Right. So 
for the second time. But she still looks good on Gotham, dude. You got to watch uh, Gotham. Oh, well, okay. Maybe I will. But <laughs> she's prepared tea. He's immediately suspicious because she's being nice to him. And, of course, this comes on the heels of Saffron trying to seduce him. And right, where, where he seems like overly paranoid, and she does, she's like, where is this coming from? Because she doesn't understand that he just had an encounter with Saffron, and so he has really got his hackles up, and he's on his guard, you know? Yeah, and, and of course, he's not ready to tell anybody he's actually got her stowed away in one of the cases. But Right, which we don't know that yet either. Exactly. Now, tells him that she simply wants to talk business, and apparently they've hardly taken any jobs and have spent most of their time on off, off, off mainstream worlds, none of which have any work for a companion. And she concludes, and she may be right in this. I mean, again, yeah, I don't think she's, yeah, I don't think she's wrong at all. Yeah, that, that he's doing this deliberately to prevent her from working. Well, I don't, I don't think he's so much preventing her from working, which is, that is a distinct possibility. I think he's just really trying to avoid any type of civilization at all because i mean let's face it they just pulled off a pretty major heist and you know they have the tams on board and they realize that now the tams are super hot commodities so um you know he just might be being overly cautious i think okay so you believe him see i I, it's funny i guess i kind of side with her and, and i guess it goes back to they have to know they each like each other and just for whatever reason they're afraid to say anything about it and i think it's one of those things that he just doesn't want anybody else to have her i mean that's what i think and but the funny thing is he gets mad and then tells her to leave the smuggling to him and the whoring to her she says well that that didn't take long that didn't take long (laughs) right and and then I love it that she's frustrated and says, well, you know what? I might as well join the gang. I mean, you know, I got to make money somehow. And my question is, is it at this point when she does become part of the con? Is it something that we don't see at that time that when she says that the light bulb goes off in Malcolm Reynolds heads and says, you know, I can use you in this plan. This would be perfect. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and that might be where they first discussed it, you know, right, right at that point. Because, I mean, that, we don't see that coming, obviously. We don't see, and that's the great thing about this episode, is like a great heist caper show. You don't see the long con, right, right. until it, it actually happens. Like, and we think that it's, and Saffron, of course, always assumes that she has the upper hand. And it's, it's you know, there's, there's a lot of times during this episode where she says, Oh, you're just a sucker. You're just a dupe. You know, like, and she's like, seems very like she's almost angry at people who get taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. And so she has no concept at all of being that person. She's like, I'm always, I always have the upper hand. I'm always on top. I always know what's going on. I'm always one step ahead of the people I'm working against. And you know, she's super pissed when it turns out to be, not true yeah now does he reveal to her at this point that he's got saffron in the crate i think he does i think he does too yeah okay because that's what nara says later i mean like you you were being suckered the minute he opened up that crate so i think this is probably the point at which they he formulates the plot okay all right then i love it they go straight to the crew 
and talking about the job. And we find out that one of the biggest collectors of Earth artifacts, this guy, I believe it's Duran Hamer, yes. uh, has a warehouse full of stuff, or actually warehouses, but the target is the Lassiter, the original handheld laser pistol, the forerunner of laser technology. And we later find out also that Hamer was an Alliance bioweapons expert during the war and used his technology to just basically wipe out villages so that he could go in and pillage whatever he wanted without having to deal with the people. Yeah, she really kind of makes him sound like he's just this horrible, evil person. Right. So the question is, was she lying about that? We don't know. We don't know. Right. But we're certainly inclined not to trust her. Right. Well, and, and he seems like kind of a sweetie when we really meet him. Well, he does, but then of course we find out that he activated his ring. Well, what would you do? Well, I understand that. Hell yeah, he activated. But he his did that. Ring, uh, he did that virtually immediately. Right. So that was his first reaction. Sure. Um, she just pops up out of nowhere. Like she got rescued, but she didn't. Like you have to assume that communications at this point are pretty good, and that. Like, oh, I sent a telegram when I got rescued, but, geez, I must have beat it here on the spaceship. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's, I think, just justifiably suspicious. Right, but she certainly sets the crew up to perceive him as the bad guy, and I, you know, I, sure. I think she certainly knows that basically what the crew of Serenity does when they can is steal from the rich to sell to the poor and right. you know so that they can certainly justify stealing from this guy but then you, you, you love it all of a sudden wash is like what the hell is she doing on the ship <laughs> she tried to kill us it's like the elephant in the room right like wash is just like okay what i was wondering is what's she doing on this ship you know just yeah right which is absolutely correct but Wash is a truth speaker. Right. And I, I, I'm not sure if it was Wash. I think it was Wash who asks, well, if you have the layouts, the schedules and the codes, why don't you just do it yourself? And she points out that because of the security, getting in is not a problem. It's getting out. That's not a one woman job. Well, Wash doesn't ask. Like she says, that's not the question. The question you should be asking is, if I have all the security, and then I can't remember, someone else asks something else, and then Jane's the one who says, "Hey, if you have all the security, yeah, right?" <laughs> you know, she's like, "Good question." Yeah, and, and, and then my favorite, you know, little mini scene, and thinking the whole episode, Saffron speaking, and she says, "To do this right, I'm going to need idiots." In our interrupts, <laughs> enters the room, and immediately, as opposed to working with Saffron for good reason. And at this point, we can't help but think it also has something to do with jealousy because, you know, we don't know anything about how this, uh, you know, you know what she and Mal have already cooked up. Right. And it really seems at this point is because Inara got him fired up and annoyed about not doing what she called serious work, that that's the reason why he's, you know, figuratively jumping in the bed here with Saffron. Yeah. Yep. You know, like she kind of goaded him into this whole thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, each member of the crew weighs in. Zoe, I'm sorry, Kaylee starts going over the plans to try to find a weakness for their escape. And then Mal asks Zoe to weigh in. I don't trust her, sir. And Mal says, well, I'll be with her every step of the way. And all of a sudden, Zoe knocks Saffron down 
and then tells Mal she's in. Yeah. Well, you know, Sapphire kind of asked her, she's like, all you got to do to be a rich woman, hun, is get over it. You know, like in her very arrogant, smarmy way. And so he just punches her in the face. You know, with, all the, you with all the sci-fi shows that, that we watch, at, at, this tells you how much time I had on my hands at one point. I had a spreadsheet going because I concluded that most of the female warriors shot left-handed. So I had a little spreadsheet, you know, anytime I'd see a scene uh-huh. in a show. And did you notice what hand Zoe decked her with? Left hand. I left hand. it was the left. Actually, once I started putting yeah. the spreadsheet together, I realized it was, they were still predominantly right-handed. But anyway. <laughs> I discovered, though, that about 10% of them were left-handed. Exactly. All right. So Jane is then in with Simon and River, and it looks like what he's doing is leaving them supplies because he tells them they've got to stay out of sight of Saffron since she turned them in for the bounty, which, of course, she would if she really knew about them. And then River, you know, and it's... I I was thinking about this, and you've, I'm sure, thought about it. It's We've still only had little bits and pieces of River. And, And they're so good that... You know, we're running out of time. I mean, after tonight, we got three episodes left and, and the movie. Yeah, the movie goes a pretty long way, though. Well, it does, but... Because I think, I, you know, Joss Whedon obviously looked at what they had and it's like, well, you know, River really... We never really got very far with that character. Right, but yeah. but in this scene, River says she's not to be trusted. Then Jane leaves and she tells Simon that Jane's afraid... And, of course, Simon thinks that she means because of the job, and she says he's afraid that we'll know, and we assume she means having turned them into the alliance, which is, of course, I think what she does mean. Yeah, well, totally, because Simon knows after that, right? Uh, Right, and that was going to be my question. Is this the first time that Simon really realizes that? You wonder. Or, well, because you know, River tells him. Right. Well, or did he? I mean, how could he not suspect it? I mean, maybe he didn't. Yeah. And that perhaps this was just validation well, for what he the, suspected. The, I mean, I could see why he wouldn't suspect it is because Jane got arrested too. True. True. But but and again, was cuffed up and. But you know, how many times have we seen that where you know the snitch says, you know, make sure you make a show of you know handcuffing me and throwing me in the car too, so that uh, you know they don't think I turned them in. So I don't know, but. Yeah. Either way, Inara then talks to Zoe in a passageway. And again, on the rewatch, did they know that Saffron was lurking and was likely to eavesdrop? At first, I didn't think so. But then on the rewatch, I think so. Yeah, yeah, totally think so. Because they, it's such an obvious place. And they're speaking loud enough that, you know, like they're not whispering hushed tones. Right. And she tells her that, yeah. you know, Mal's been duped again, but... You know, at least since they're going to Belafaron, that she'll be able to pick up some choice clients. You know, and then Zoe starts trying to, you know, tell her some details. No, no, I don't want any details. Right. And we can't help remembering, though, that Inara knows that she was trained as a companion and knows how to manipulate. So, sure. uh, you know, obviously we get to the end and we find out what the, the reality is that the player got played by the player. Right. Or Which whatever is, it is. Yeah. <laughs> It's, you know, like hubris, right? I mean, she's just so arrogant 
that she can't even imagine that she's being played. So she's like, oh boy, I'm super sneaky. I'm listening to their conversation. She never even for a moment thinks that it's staged. She doesn't even consider that. And had she considered it, some things might have fallen in place for her. Yeah, you know? yeah true. But she didn't even consider it because she's so full of herself yeah. and everything. Um, two things we missed here, though. One, Jane is obviously very touchy about his name. And River, and River I assume you're talking about? Yeah, well, because River says Jane's a girl's name, and he gets really upset, <laughs> like, right away. Okay, and what's the other one? The second thing, oh, also, at least he wasn't named Sue, though, right? Oh, good point. Yeah, boy named Sue, right? Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Cash. All right. Um, the other thing is when uh, Simon realizes they have to stay there, he said, well, I guess it's going to be an adventure in sitting, which I'd like, well, that's totally got to come from, like, the movie Adventures in Babysitting, right? Okay. I, 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 no, I know the movie. I'm not sure I've seen it, but... It doesn't have anything to do with anything here, but I just thought that maybe, like, Ben Edlund was making a clever little line there, you know, in reference to the movie. Okay. Uh, now, I love the way the... Because why would you say an adventure in sitting, right? Yeah. That, that's an unusual thing to say. Well, true. True. And they don't even get the deck of cards Shane was going to leave them. I know. Uh, I love the way the next few scenes were edited because the crew sitting at the table going through the plans steps and we alternately see Mao and Saffron carrying out their roles at the beginning of the plan. And, and like we said, the sure. destination is Belepharon, uh, which apparently is a series of hovering self-contained biospheres. I don't know what else to call them. They were pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. And I think that's kind of like, but that's kind of like caper movie standard fare, right? Oh, yeah. Like, as you discuss the plan, it's, it's just always the early stages, right? Because you can't do it for the whole thing. Exactly. But as you talk about the setup for the heist, you have the person explaining it. And then as he's explaining it or she's explaining it, you see them actually carrying out the plan. Right. It's pretty standard fare. Okay. And we see this, though, also in the first National Treasure movie, right? Oh, right. I love that movie. I watch it every time it comes on. I do too. All right. So they're posing as flower delivery people. National treasure too. That was good too. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I mean, obviously, you know, if anything, national treasure could potentially have been influenced by Firefly, but they totally pose like they're selling flowers to break into, which was, I mean, ridiculous, obviously that they were, <laughs> we're going to pretend we're bringing their flowers and get up into the queen's study in in Buckingham palace. I mean, that's totally possible. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> but yeah, I love that movie too. Yeah, all right. So big fan of National Treasure movies. Come on, Nick. Make another one. Yeah, really. So, well, the problem remains how to get the artifact out. Kaylee's idea is to throw it out with the trash, which is linked to an automatic drone system yep. that apparently avoids detection. Problem is the drones go automatically to the reclamation site. Kaylee's idea is to reprogram the drones with new coordinates. Pretty ingenious. That's a solid plan. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we've learned that there appear to be a series of, you know, these space stations in relatively close proximity to each other and that this guy Hamer must own one of them. And that's where they are. Jane and Kaylee have to physically reprogram the drones. And at first I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but so are they on top of Serenity and he's, you know, I th moving the ship up to put them in between the drone and Serenity was I th was it I th I th was it Serenity or was it one of the 
Like the shuttles. Oh, one of the shuttles. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think it was I Serenity. Yeah, I think so too, actually. Yeah. But yeah, they're on top of it. Like they're actually standing on top of it. Because like Wash's guy, like, you know, he's like watching the, the you know, the, the instruments. He has to keep it level. He has to bring it up a little bit because it's too high, too far away. So Right. And now he's doing what he does best. And, and what he does best is not, sure. you know, go out in the battlefield. This is nothing compared to what he did in war stories, right? True. True. All right, so the bit flying there. Now Mal and Saffron make it to the room with the pistol. Outside, Jane and Kaylee have encountered problems. Of course, they have installing the redirect. Suddenly, a man comes into the room, surprises Mal and Saffron, and of course, he recognizes her, embraces her, and tells Mal, "You found my wife. You've returned the sweet Yolanda. Exactly. You've returned the only thing that I truly treasure. And I guess we assume." He must be Hamer. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but we find out that it's been six years since she disappeared. And then, of course, she starts doing what she does best, tells him she was kidnapped, sold into slavery. And I like Mal, not by me. Yeah, not not me. Again, not me. Offers Mal money for returning her, which, you know, Mal declines. But then Saffron says, no, 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 you need to give him 800 round, whatever. I guess that's a lot. Uh, he doesn't seem to blink at that, but um, when he leaves to get the money, we have to move fast, she tells Mal. All right, now, Jane gets zapped and then's brought in to be attended to by Simon yep. while Shepard Book takes Jane's place working with Kaylee. You know, and, it, and at first, uh, you know, we weren't really thinking anything about Jane getting zapped, but obviously that plays into one of the final scenes when he's lying on Simon's uh, operating table right and i was trying to remember because you know as, as i'm watching this obviously I've, I've seen this episode before so i know what happens i remember that last scene with simon and jane so i was trying to think back to like the very first time that i said did i suspect that simon knew because there is that scene where you know where river says he's afraid we'll find out and we already know that river has this really you know this kind of almost um clairvoyant cognitive abilities and and so you know i was wondering if back then i i suspected that simon at this point you know river told him that jane had betrayed them and that simon knew at this point but right right and that's what i certainly having seen before we know well and and that's what i think you know again even like let's say having seen it once you see how it turns out at the end then you go back to the scene on a rewatch and even though all we see on screen is her telling he's afraid we'll we'll know, we assume then perhaps she filled him in, you know, like I think what you, you just alluded to with the, the full details. Right. All right. So Mal enters the codes, disables the alarm on the pistol, and as he's doing that, he wonders why she didn't just walk right in to get the artifact since she was his wife albeit uh, hasn't been around for six years, surmises that of all her hundreds of husbands, she actually wants Hamer to think well of her. And I just think that's part of her playing Mal again. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we don't, you know, that's, that's, that's the funny thing. And the fascinating thing about Saffron and how Christina Hendricks plays her is we, we don't really know, like, because he might be right. You know, Mal might be right that this was a guy that she actually kind of cared for a little bit. Not enough to stay with him or anything or to rob him, 
but that she did care for him a little bit and so didn't want him to think badly of her. Um, our obviously default, the most likely explanation is that, you know, she just plays whoever, however she can. Uh, she plays Durin, she plays Mal, uh, she's the consummate, you know, double dealer. So, you, but we, we just don't know. It's, it's impossible to say for sure. Right. And on the other hand, when he talks about, you know, she wants him to think well of her and, and you know, and then the next thing you know, she says, and, and I won't tell anybody that you will let me get your gun. And, you know, the next thing she's holding the gun on Malcolm, but Hamer's apparently heard everything. And while he's focused on her, Mal slips out with the pistol, drops it in the trash chute, and wondering how this plan's going to transpire. Yeah, but it's not like really like sneaky. Like he just kind of goes over and dumps it, and like, but Duran is—he doesn't even care, right? Right. right. So I don't think it's like super sneaky on Mal's part. He just kind of walks over and throws the gun. I always thought that was weird. Like every time I've seen this, that's always the part that seems like the strangest to me. That he just doesn't even object when Mal goes and drops his priceless artifact into the trash can. Well, I think he was being honest when he said she was the only thing he really ever cared about. And then to find out that, you know, she's been so duplicitous with him that I I think he just couldn't do anything else. It was as if he had blinders. It's like he didn't even see Malcolm with the gun. Hey, did you see uh, the actor who plays Duran Hamer, who he was? No. So his name is Dwyer Brown. Okay. And he's been in like tons of, you know, like all these guys, he's been in tons of stuff, but probably, and I'm not sure this is, I, I assume this is where I know him from. I feel like I know him from something else still, but I know for sure because in Field of Dreams, he was Kevin Costner's dad. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Remember? I do. At the end? I do. Yeah. Dad, you want to have a catch? I still well up every time I see that scene. It's like, it's really great scene i just saw so anyway i just saw the parallel scene in the castle episode when his daughter says that right. remember that one no oh yeah it's like she's you know the whole idea about you know she's trying to discover her roots and she talks to him about you know doesn't it bother you that you don't know your father and all of that oh yeah and the next, you know she that, comes yeah. in she's got two baseball gloves and you know she's like hey son would you like to have a catch yeah <laughs> and She's left-handed, oh. and he throws the ball, and of course, it's like off target, and you hear some right. crashing. <laughs> and, all right, but anyway, uh, well, I guess that was sort of related because it's Nathan Fillion, right? So. They, 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 I'm, I'm not saying anything. All right, so the reprogramming's complete. Turns out Hamer's not as naive as he at first appears, and has already called the authorities to arrest her. As they arrive, we wonder how Mal's going to get out of this one, and. She knocks Hamer out with a roundhouse kick. You know, th- those were some pretty good. I, I tried to, I- I'm sure they did it with, you know, a stunt double, but it was done well. Or else Christina Hendricks knows some of those moves. But yeah, nonetheless, great, great scene. They reach the shuttle, appear to have escaped. And then once we're on the shuttle, Saffron appears morose, tells Mal that, you know, I tried to be a good wife to Hamer. He was a decent man, the genuine article. I thought having everything would be enough. And she admits to having an affair with that security chief, but she didn't kill him. Yeah. And then says, Poor Heinrich. Right. And it's right. And it says she should have killed Turin, though. And then, you know, Mal mentions the irony of that since uh, he loved her, even though he knew 
who she really was. You know, she's crying. You must be loving this. You know, and then that line, you know, I've seen you without your clothes before, but never thought I'd see you naked. Yeah, that's a good line. It is a good line, especially given the way the episode opens and closes, of course, with him. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And so that, that's funny because, you know, we're at the end when he just walks up naked, like not even caring. You know, Mal, he doesn't have a hidden agenda or a hidden personality. You know, what you see is what you get, basically. Y- right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she, she goes through this thing about whether or not people can change. And then the next thing you know, she's got Mal's gun and pointing it at him and tells him, you know what, you dupe. I had you played from the start. And he, the plan is now to put down in the desert. And the first thing she says is to start taking your clothes off. And, and of course, he's a bit concerned about that. Now, back on Serenity, Wash realizes he can't turn the ship. And they figure, okay, she did something, which kind of leads us to figure they're not in on the plan, right? Or they, you know, act like they're not in on it. Well, but why do they have to act? I mean, she's not around, right? Right, true, right, right, So that's why I'm thinking it's really just Malcolm and Inara that are in on the plan. And, you know, later, well, we'll get to it in a second when, when she comments on the roles that they played. But we then see Malcolm in the desert, Naked, shuttle flies overhead, you know, and this is the scene we opened with. We then cut to Saffron picking through the trash drone, but it's clear the pistol's not there. And then all of a sudden the camera pulls out and we see Inara standing, holding the laser pistol on Saffron. Wonder if it works. Now, she pulls the trigger. Yeah, she does. I'm I'm assuming she already tried it once and knew it didn't work, but. We don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So you know, but it's a it's kind of an oddly satisfying scene. Well, not oddly; it's just really satisfying because Saffron is like been so duplicitous to see her panicking and tearing through the trash like that. You know, it's like that's like well deserved on her part. Well, yeah, but and I think also as you pointed out, it's the just supreme hubris that she's exhibited through these two episodes. That, you know, again, makes it even more satisfying. And right. Inar tells, just just playing my part in the plan. I mean, you know, you didn't see it coming? Really? Yeah. that yeah, That's that's the best part. Like, that whole disbelief. Like, you seriously didn't see this coming? Like, that's just, ah, uh, it's just jabbing it in there, you know? I mean, she said, you know, Inar says, you see me, I storm off in a huff, beat you to the rendezvous point. Uh, you know, some of the crew's performances weren't as nuanced as they could have been. <laughs> but we've been playing you since the moment you got out of the crate and then just classic Renard's got the remote and closes saffron in the trash dumpster it's like you can't leave me in here you're not gonna die you big baby (laughs) all right again very very satisfying uh scene there because as, as beautiful as she is we understand that she deserves this like nobody's business and then that scene we kind of you know started talking about a few minutes ago, Jane's lying on the table in the infirmary. He's got a neck brace on. Simon asks him if he can move his arms and legs, which he can't. And he tells him he hit his spine hard. And then he tells him he injected him so he wouldn't move and do any more damage. You know, we're wondering where this is headed. Because at this point, we're, we're pretty sure that, that he knows now that 
that River told Simon right. about Jay's duplicity. Right. Now, but I think we know instinctively that Simon's not going to do something to permanently hurt him. So what does he right. really Hippocratic do? Hippocratic oath and all that, yeah. Right. But he asks Simon if his spine is okay. And I'm wondering, is this like a metaphor for his character, you know, that, that he is spineless? Ooh, nice one, Dave. Um, I like that. And he just says, how much did they offer you to sell out me and River on Ariel? And then despite everything, he tells him that I will never harm you. I'm your medic and we're on the same crew. We need to learn to trust each other. Right. I mean. I like that. He goes, is there anybody there? Oh, well, yeah. And yeah. River pokes her head and like, anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that was such a powerful scene, though, with Simon. I mean, yeah, not that, very powerful right, I mean, not that we ever doubted his character, because we haven't. No. Nope. But that's the ultimate betrayal. You know, and we talked about that in, in the last episode. And yet that's his reaction. But River gets the last laugh. Simon leaves and she just pokes her head in there. I can kill you with my brain. Well, I think and then Simon taking the complete high ground saying, listen, we have to trust each other. I will always be your doctor. Yeah. You know, like basically, like I, I'm going to choose to still trust you. Yeah. Are you going to do the same? Right. Because that's the only way this is going to work. We're here on this ship together. Neither of us is going anywhere. So instead of an acrimonious relationship, we need to be able to trust each other and have each other's back again. Yeah. Yep. And just completely forgiving him for his betrayal. Yeah. And that leads us into the final scene. You know, Mal's naked in the desert, sitting on the rock. The camera pans, and, and we see that actually uh, Serenity is very close by. Inaris pretty much standing toe-to-toe with naked mouth, <laughs> and it finally is clear that she was really part of the plan from the beginning, and I'm thinking, like, God, is she beautiful? Sorry, I know that's the second time I've said that, and I think you, I think you mentioned <laughs> it once. but um, right. and it, It's not me you should be apologizing to, Dave. I know, I know. <laughs> and does she glance down, I think, maybe? <laughs> I don't know, but... I, 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 it seemed like she was making a concerted effort not to. Right. But, yeah. but, but his... She might sneak to peace. And, and again, just like you said earlier, you know, then once he walks back up the ramp to the ship, it's it's as if he's fully clothed. I mean, it's, it's you know, he, he doesn't even act like he's naked. And Kaylee, I, I was looking for her uh, reaction, but again, it's almost like, okay. Kaylee acts like everything's normal too, like it, no big deal. Exactly. And the episode ends, and it's like it had everything. Yep, yep. So, yeah, it really did. Fantastic episode. Like, I, yeah, I told you last week that this is another great one, another cracker. Ben Edlund, once again, comes through. It's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, anything you you want to add to it? No. Well, you know, again, just like I mean, we talked about, it, but just like, like that scene where Saffron, like she starts crying, you know, at that moment. Like, yeah, like I said, I mean, we don't know. We just can't tell. But she just, she really does seem like so fragile in that moment, you know. And of course, she just turns around and, and turns the table on Mal. So it's probably just an act, but it's still probably like, you know. Nah. You never know. Nah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
All right. Well, like you said, great episode. Uh, yeah, we're winding down. Only three more. And, and of course, the movie. I mean, I don't think we've mentioned it in a, in a while, but I, I certainly we are not going to not do the movie. We got to do the movie. Absolutely. The movie's awesome. Yep. And it's on HBO like all the time. It's fantastic. I know. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Firefly, Dark Angel, which we'll be getting back to, uh, you know, at this point, it looks like probably mid-October. Any week now, we'll be getting back yep. to it. Uh, or, Anytime. or anything else you think we should be watching, I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. We'd like to get some more members. Spread the love. Uh, emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week with Firefly episode 12 titled The Message. And I don't remember this one at all. I mean, I, I haven't watched it yet, but... I was just thinking about it. As we've got done talking about this, I started thinking about it. It's very emotional. Oh, okay. All right. But until then. Well, again, this is just, you know, it's so funny because sometimes you see things that I totally said before. I just said this the other day, you know, when Dave and I were at lunch and we were talking about the early days of the podcast, I remember saying that, Dave, if you had half a brain, you'd have called the feds the moment you saw me. <laughs>